You're listening to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. To learn more about Chestnut Ridge Church, visit us online at theridge.church. This time of year, so much of the world focuses on Jesus. But who was and is Jesus? And what difference can He make in our lives? Follow along with our Christmas series titled, He Will Be Called, where we will be focusing on some of the titles, names, and descriptions given to Jesus in the Old and New Testaments. Listen to hear how Jesus is more amazing than we realize and how He can make the difference in our lives. Well, good morning. It doesn't do anything for my self-esteem to see everybody walking out the moment I walk out here. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Uh, When I was uh, early in my teenage years, I was uh, what I would call myself a Jesus freak. Uh, No one else called me that. It's not because someone said you're a Jesus freak, but I was really obsessed with Jesus. I just loved Jesus. And I wanted people to know Jesus. No, I don't know what what got me going. I don't don't know where the zeal came from, but I just loved Jesus so much. And it showed itself in many different ways. For example, a friend of mine stole something from me in my garage. This is not the same kid that stole on a different occasion. It seems like all my neighbors were thieves, but one of the neighbors took something from the garage, and it was mine, and I found out about it, and then he found out I found out about it, so we both knew. I didn't mind at all that he took something from me. I didn't mind at all. I wanted him instead to know Jesus. I just assumed that if he stole from me, he probably doesn't know Jesus. And I just wanted to talk to him about that, and so I asked, can we go for a walk and, and, and talk, and he turned me down. I found out later the reason he turned me down was he thought I was going to beat him up, which I don't know where he got that idea. I just wanted you to know Jesus. That's what it was about. During this season of my life, I was uh, doing a newspaper route through the, called, with the uh, paper called the Youngstown Vindicator, very heavy newspaper, especially on Sundays. I think it ruined my back. But um, when I was going and doing this, neighbor, this uh, route, I would take little gospel booklets, or they were called tracks, and I'd stick them on people's windshields as I delivered the paper because I wanted my neighbors to know Jesus. One of my neighbors in particular, I just really, really liked this woman. She was so kind to me, and so I actually knocked on her door said, hey, can I give you something? I just wanted her to know Jesus. I'd be walking along. And if I saw gravel on the road, I'd sometimes bend down and just, I know it's weird, but I would write Jesus in the gravel. I thought and prayed that maybe somebody would just walk along and they'd see Jesus in there and they'd begin to question, you know, do I know Jesus? I really wanted people to know him. And it was during this season too, actually, probably a year later, that I decided to cut the name Jesus in my lawn. We had a big, big lawn and... I did the J, and then I had to turn off, the course, the lawnmower and move to the E. I suspect even my dad thought I'd gone off the deep end. I suspect. So you can see why I thought that I was a Jesus freak. But as I think about it now, I realize I still am. I've never gotten over Jesus Jesus is infinitely greater than anything that we can even imagine. 
He's the Son of God and God the Son, the Savior of the world. He is, he's just much more amazing than, than we could even imagine. If we could just get a glimpse of what Jesus is like, I think it would change our lives. I wish we could get just a, a snapshot like three of Jesus' closest friends had on the Mount of Transfiguration, as it's called. You know, he took his three closest friends up on this mountain and then he, he was changed before their eyes. His, his face was shining like the sun. And I think for, for a moment they realized, who is this? And he was wearing the glory that he had before he came into this world, taking on flesh and blood. And boy, if we could just get a glimpse of that, he's just, he's just greater than we think. Now, let me ask you some questions this morning. First of all, who do you think Jesus is? Or who was he and is he? And another question is, who is he to you? Which is a different question entirely. Who Jesus is and who he is to you are two different questions. So who is he to you? And is Jesus just an historic figure who was a great teacher and a prophet and someone who, you know, did these great miracles and things like that? Is that who he is? Is he the creator, as the Bible says? And we'll see that in a minute. Is he our creator? Is he the only savior of the world? He claimed it. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You, you won't come into the presence of the holy God and be welcomed into eternity if you don't do it through the door, who is Jesus. And so Jesus is really kind of a big deal. Now, we're beginning a new series here, and it's called He Will Be Called. And in this series, I want to talk about some of the names or titles that are given to Jesus, but I want to talk about some that you've maybe never heard someone talk about different words or phrases that are used to describe this Jesus, because again, he's infinitely greater than we can imagine. I again, wish we could just get a glimpse of him. I think it would change all of our lives. Now today, I want to talk about the fact that Jesus is the Logos, or some pronounce it Logos, but Logos seems to be more accurate. My takeaway is that Jesus is the Logos, the Word of God. Now what does that mean and why do we care? That he'd be called the Logos. When people ask me where in the Bible they should begin reading if they want to start reading their Bible every day. You know, people say, well, where, where should I start? Do I go to Genesis? Where do I go? I always send people to the Gospel of John. And I like the Gospel of John for a couple reasons. One is that it's one of the easiest books to understand. In fact, the, the Greek that John used was very simple Greek. If you want to learn to translate ancient Koine Greek from the Bible, uh, your professor will likely start you in the Gospel of John. Because John used very simple and repetitive words. And so it's just easy to understand. And so I send people to John. But the other reason I do that is because how Jesus is portrayed in this gospel. It's remarkable. He, he is the Son of Man and the Son of God. And you learn from this who he is and, and then what are the appropriate response is for us. But when I send people to the gospel of John, when I say, well, a good place to start is the gospel of John, I get a little bit apologetic every time. And the reason I get apologetic is that the first couple verses are just hard to understand. They're like a puzzle. I feel like saying, if you could get past chapter 1, the rest of the book is great. Because he starts in this way, John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And it's like someone's beginning to read their Bible, and they go, huh? You know, why didn't John say in the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and, and Jesus was God? Why, why did he... Why did he say that? 
Now, if you know your Bible, you, you'll recognize that John's opening statement here kind of points back to the very first statement in the entire Bible. If you go to Genesis 1-1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Of course, that's Genesis 1-1. John, without a doubt, is pointing to that when he says, In the beginning, just like Moses did in Genesis, he said, In the beginning, logos. In the beginning was the word logos. It's just a strange statement. Why did he do that? In the beginning was the word. Now, I want to explain this in a little bit. Why? He made this puzzling statement. But I want to talk first about John, just, just the guy, John. He was most likely the youngest of Jesus' disciples. Uh, most scholars seem to believe that John was a teenager when Jesus met him. Might have been 15, 16, as old as 18. Some believe he was as old as 21. That's more, I think, from a Catholic tradition. They say he was 21, but most everyone agrees he was the youngest. He was also called the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, Jesus loved all the disciples, but he clearly had a special relationship with, with John. And, and, of course, we know that. He had his 12, of course, he had his 12 disciples, his 12 close friends. But there were three of them that he did some special things with. And so he was especially close to Peter, James, and John. And then there was one in particular that it says he, he loved John. He was the disciple whom Jesus loved. And if you go to John's books, like the Gospel of John and 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John, which come before, right before the end of the Bible there, uh, you'll see that John is just crazy about the love of Jesus and the love of God. He's just filled up with love. It really rubbed off on him. But the reason I'm mentioning all of this is because this is a guy that walked with Jesus for three years plus probably three and a half years, he walked side by side with Jesus. He watched as Jesus taught, performed miracles, prophesied. He saw how Jesus responded to every situation he faced, good situations and bad situations. And he concluded that Jesus was not just a man, that he was our creator. Now, that's, I, I find that remarkable and compelling he was with Jesus. He was an eyewitness. He talks about this in, his, in, the, in the book of 1 John. He says, the things I'm writing to you about are things I've seen with my own eyes. I've heard these things with my own ears. I've touched these things. This is reality. I'm proclaiming to you Jesus, the word of life. And he spoke about this, and he recognized who Jesus was. He never saw Jesus committed a selfish act or an unloving word or anything like that. And he concluded Jesus was God. Now think of how remarkable that is. What, what would it take for me to convince you that I was God? It, it, I couldn't do it, right? If you hung around me for one day, just one day, you might think in your mind, this guy doesn't sin. Although I've, I would have sinned hundreds of times up here, you know, thoughts. But if you were just hanging around me, you're following me around. You, you know, you, you might think, well, he's a pretty good guy. If you followed me for a week, that's uh, over. There's not one of you here that would conclude I was divine. Not a, not a single one of you. You would know, you know, such a claim. And I would hope if I said I'm God, you would you say, no, that's why I'm leaving, you know. But John regarded him as the creator, as we'll see in a minute. The son of God and God the son. I've observed him. This is who he is. 
But still, why does he call him the Word? The Greek word for word is logos. The plural of it is logo, which is opposite the way we do it. We think logos with the S would be plural, but it's singular. Logos is singular. Logo is plural. And, and that's the word that's used here. And sometimes logos can mean a word. But most of the time, it means much, much more than that. A scholar by the name of S.W. Lemke writes, the Greek word logos, or word, ordinarily refers to an explanation or reason for something otherwise meaningless. Jesus is the logos. He's the one behind. He's the explanation. He's the reason for everything. So he's called the logos. Lemke goes on to say this, Logos has a variety of uses depending on context. With regard to language or grammar, Logos can mean sentence or statement. While regarding logic or knowledge, it can mean reason, explanation, science, or formula. In other words, it's a lot bigger. It's the explanation behind things. This definition includes the idea of science. You know, we have different fields of study in our world today. You know, you've heard of anthropology and sociology and theology and all these different ologies. Well, that word ology is logos. And so, you know, anthropology, it's the study of mankind or the reason behind. And Jesus is our, our logos. It's important also to understand that in the New Testament, often, the word logos is, is used to refer to the message of the gospel by which you are saved. The message of the good news, that's what gospel is, by which you are saved or delivered from the penalty of your sin. That message that sinners can turn to Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins and get the gift of eternal life, that's called logos. The entire message of the gospel is logos, and I'll demonstrate this in a minute. And Jesus is behind all of it. Now, S.W. Lemke wrote about the gospel. He says, the preaching of the gospel brings order and meaning to lives shattered by sin. Those who put faith in Jesus, the Logos, will be welcomed into the family of God, which is what I just said. And so Jesus is, and my main takeaway, Jesus is the Logos, the Word of God. But let's talk a little bit more about why Logos? Why that particular title? And I want to summarize it, and then I want to spend a little bit more time developing. First of all, God used words, or Logo, to create everything. And so when we read about Jesus being the Logos, you realize he's the word behind the words that created everything. Okay, God spoke everything into existence. We'll talk about that. Second, Logos, words, are used to communicate and Jesus is God's clearest communication to the world what he's like. If you had the question in your mind, God, what are you like? Jesus is the, the word. You know, you say a picture's worth a thousand words. He's worth 10,000. As a person, he represented God, the Father. He spoke about what God is like. And then third, connection. Words are about connection. Relationships are about communication. And this was the heart of God that we connect through the Logos. So let me talk about each of these. First of all, Jesus is called the Word because he's the source behind creation. The Word <coughs> created all things. 
Now again, if we go back to Genesis, you'll read, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, and darkness was on the face of the earth. Then God said, let there be light, and there was. Just like that. He used words. God's words have power. And they brought in, into existence everything. And Jesus is the living word who spoke these words, along with God the Father and the Holy Spirit. The entire Trinity was involved with creation, but Jesus seems to have been the architect. And so John spells that out in John 1. Again, if you go back to verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He, referring to the Word or Jesus, was with God in the beginning. So we're going back to Genesis 1.1. All things were created through Him. Through who? The, well, the Word or Jesus. And apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. Life was in him, all life. And that life was the light of men. And so John's being pretty clear here that Jesus was there in Genesis 1.1 when you read in the beginning God or in the beginning Logos. He is there. Now this idea of creating something from nothing has a a, a term associated with it. It's Latin, and it's creatu, <clears throat> I'm sorry, creatu ec nihilo. I study Greek, not Latin. But it means to create out of nothing. And so we go back to creation, and I marvel at it. The thought that God said, let there be light, and there was. God said, you know, this creates some animals here that can, you know, replicate themselves here. And he just spoke it into being, and, and God created everything. And God alone can do that. Only God could speak into existence things that don't exist. Creation out of nothing. Now I want to go down a slight theological tangent here. <clears throat> There's a, some false ideas in Christendom, in Christianity, that are a little bothersome. And that is that, that there are people that believe that we as Christians, our words also can create out of nothing that our words have power. Now, without a doubt, words have power. I think we all understand that. Your words can encourage people, it can discourage people. Simple words can incite a war. We've seen examples of that. It could also bring about calm. You know, the words are very, very powerful, but our words are not like God's words. Our words can't create life. We can't speak things into existence. That, those ideas come more out of pantheism and... and um, animism, you know, where everything has God in it, and you have to... No, we're, we're not like God in this regard. Now, people call this idea of bringing into existence things with our words, they call it name and claim it. And so you've heard that before, many of you. It's not good theology. You know, it's paganism. We don't name something and then claim it just because you utter something into existence, it comes into existence. Now, practically where I've seen this thing flesh out is that someone will be as sick as could be. I've known people with cancer or, <clears throat> or pneumonia or whatever. And I'd ask them, how are you doing? And they could not utter the words, I'm sick. Because they believed if they made that negative confession about their physical health, that it would result in them getting sicker. And so they say, I'm healed. I'm well when they weren't. Even the Apostle Paul in the New Testament talked about Epaphroditus, his friend who was sick to the point of death. If you're sick, I'll pray for you. You know, we need to know. But I'm just saying our words don't have the creative energy, so positive confessions don't lead to something coming out of nothing. 
And negative confessions don't have that effect either. Only God can do this. But there are some words that have power in and of themselves, and this goes back to something I touched on earlier, the gospel. The gospel message is called Logos. And when we respond to that good news that through Christ we have eternal life, we're born again or recreated. And suddenly my mind goes back to Genesis 1-1, where God said, let there be, and there was. The gospel has that power. It's the only word or the message that I know of that has that kind of power. And so Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. If you put your trust in the risen Lord Jesus Christ, you are you're a recreation. Old things have passed away. Look, new things have come. Because you responded to the Logos. You responded to the message of the gospel. And this is why Paul said in Romans 1.16, he said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because... It is God's power for salvation to everyone who believes. I'm not ashamed of this message because it is powerful enough to save someone, to rescue someone from the consequences of their sin. The gospel message has power to do that to those who believe. And so the gospel, in a sense, is like the living word of God as well, as Jesus is. And Peter talked about this in 1 Peter 1, 23 to 25. He said, you've been born again, or born anew, or this could be translated born from on high. You've been born again, born anew, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word or logos of God. The seed of God's word was planted into your heart. You were born again. All flesh is like grass, all its glory like a flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord, the logos, endures forever. And this is the word that was preached as the gospel to you, the logos, he says, is the gospel message. And we become a new creation, just like God spoke all of creation into existence. When you respond to the logos, the gospel message, you become a recreation yourself. But the second po point I want to make is that words communicate and that the word or Jesus is God's clearest communication with humanity. Words communicate, and the best way that God could communicate with us concerning what he's like was in the person of Jesus. Now, I love the fact that our God loves to speak to us. But this final communication, this logos, is just something wonderful, something new. One scholar put it this way, the word logos is a title for Jesus as the communication and the revealer of God, the Father. He reveals God when he walked this earth. The writer of Hebrews said, of course, the same thing. In Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, he said, Long ago, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. God has appointed him, Jesus, heir of all things, and made the universe through him. There it is again. Jesus is our creator there. But... God, who spoke in various ways in the past, now has talked to us in the form of his own son. Now think of the ways in which God has communicated with humanity over time. You know, he, he spoke to, to prophets. Um, he did it sometimes through signs and wonders. Sometimes it was God spoke through dreams. Sometimes it's visions. Uh, sometimes God spoke to someone face to face like Moses. Moses is someone who the text indicates he talks to God like two people. 
sitting there talking. It wasn't God in his full glory, but they were talking like two people. Uh, in the Bible, there's an example where God spoke to someone through a donkey. God speaks in all different kinds of ways. We know that God has spoken to us through the scriptures, through the word of God. It's one of the best revealers of God. This is why I say, please read your Bible if you want to know what God's like. God speaks to us through his word, but he also speaks to us through creation. So one of the Davidic Psalms begins this way, Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare, they speak about the glory of God, and the sky proclaims the work of his hands. It shouts all of creation. Of course, Paul said the same thing. In Romans 1, he said, we're all without excuse if we don't give thanks to God or don't believe he exists because the evidence for God is everywhere. You know, occasionally I'll see something online where somebody makes a statement like, well, I would believe in God if there were any evidence. And I'm thinking, are you blind? Look around, look at creation. In Romans 1, Paul talks about the fact that God's invisible attributes, his eternal nature, his divine nature, is revealed through the things he's made. So the people are without excuse. And, and this tells me, of course, of a God who just wants a relationship with us. I love that. But of all the ways in which he spoke to us, he spoke to us through his son. That was the final, the greatest way in which he communicated what he was like. And so Jesus made statements like, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, I and the Father are one. As they picked up stones at that point to stone him. I mean, can you imagine if I said that to you again? If you see me, you've seen God. It's like, I hope you'd get up and walk out. But it was true about Jesus. Jesus was God's clearest communication. And so the word of God is God's clearest communication, or Jesus is, as the word, God's clearest communication with humanity. The word created all things. The last point I want to make today is that the word is about connection. It's about a relationship with our creator. Jesus, of course, took on flesh and blood to dwell among us for to, to take care of this gap between people and a holy God. People are sinful. God is holy. And God created us, as you know, different than the rest of the animals. And I think it's for this reason, to have a relationship with us. God created all the animals different than he did you and me. He created us in his very image. Why? He wants you to be part of his family. He, he wants a relationship with you. That's our God wants a relationship with us. He wants to com he communicate it for this reason. And then Jesus comes into this world and lives among us in John 1.14. We read the Word. John's still writing here. He's still using that term. He said, the Word became flesh and took up residence among us. We observed his glory. The glory is the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This uh, is more meaningful than it appears. It says he took his residence among us. That literally could be translated, he tabernacled among us, or he put up a tent among us. Now, you say, well, why, why would John write it that way? Well, he's clearly pointing to the Old Testament. And you remember how the people of Israel were going through the Old Testament, and they were living in tents, and then God said, I want you to construct a tabernacle, a tent, and within that area, I want another tent to protect the Ark of the Covenant, which represents the Holy of Holies, because I'm going to dwell right with you. And that had never happened. 
where God picked a nation and chose to live with them, live among them, tabernacle among them. It was a glorious thing. He led them in a cloud by day and a cloud of fire by night, but it was God with his people. Then Jesus comes along here and it says he tabernacled with us. The readers would have immediately realized, you're saying again that the Jesus was God dwelling with his people. And now... At Christmas time, we celebrate the fact he actually entered into creation as a man. It's just absolutely remarkable. Now, the reason he did it was to bring us again into a relationship with our Heavenly Father because we've got a problem. There's a problem between people and, and God. It's, it's called sin. Sin just means to miss the mark, but God is holy and perfect. We are not. In between a holy God and people, there's this thing called sin. It comes in the way. And our sins have made a separation between us and our God. Also, it disqualifies us from going to heaven because heaven's a perfect place and we're not perfect people. So we've got a problem here. But what if somehow that sin could be removed? What if the thing that is coming between us and our Creator could be removed? That's why Jesus came into this world. It's the reason He came. He came to live a sinless life as the Son of God and God the Son to live a sinless life so that he could allow the sins of the world to be charged against him. The justice of God needed to be poured out against sin. And Jesus said, I volunteer. And he took upon himself all the sin of the world. That's why he came into this world, the Son of God, to be our Savior. And he died. But three days later, he rose again, as you know, from the dead. We celebrate that at Easter. It demonstrates that God accepted the payment he made on our behalf. But God did it all. Christ did it all. The Word did it all so that we could enter this relationship, so that we could have communion, communicate with our Heavenly Father, the living Word became our Savior, dying in their place and for our sin. Now let me summarize what I've said so far and get to two applications. Jesus, I believe, is called the Word, first of all, because He created all things as the Word. And He used logo to do it. He used words to do it. And second, that the Word of God, Jesus, is, is the clearest communication with humanity. You want to know what God's like? Look at, read about Jesus. If you want to know how God would handle a situation, look at what He did. And finally, the Word came to connect us with the Creator. That's what it's about. Now, if you're already a believer here today, I mean, you know where you stand with God and you put your faith in Christ. I want to encourage you with this, just this idea that that God wants so much a relationship with us. He's gone through such effort to communicate with us. And we, especially in our day and age, have this thing called the Bible, the scriptures available to us. Other generations didn't have that. If you were growing up in the Old Testament, you'd have to go to the temple and hear the Bible being read. But you guys have Bibles in your homes, probably every one of us. They say, I think in American homes, four and a half Bibles. I don't know what happened to the half. We have God's Word. And it's a gift, and it's a blessing. And I encourage you to get to know the Word and get into the Word and learn about the God of the Word and the Son of the Word because he, he, it's, a, it's a gift, it's a blessing. He speaks in many different ways. We just have to have our ears open. But it's about a relationship, and I encourage you to develop that relationship. But the second application is some of you maybe have never come into a relationship with Christ. You see, although Jesus died for the sins of the world and forgiveness is found in him, there is a response that's required on our part, and that is to put our trust in Jesus. 
So most of you know John 3, 16, you know, God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Whoever puts their trust in him will have life and will become a child of God. Now, John writes about Jesus, of course, the word becoming flesh and all, and he explains in his very first chapter the two different responses that people had toward Jesus. And so in John 1.10, we read, He was in the world, referring to Jesus, and the world was created through him, yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him. He gave the right or the privilege, the power to become children of God to those who believe in his name, for those who have put their trust in him. Because these are ones who are born not of blood or the will of flesh or the will of man, but of God. John is making the point that all of us, if you're here, you were born physically. Not everyone's been born spiritually. How do you get this new birth? What says receiving Jesus is the key. Have you ever come to a point where you acknowledge your sinful condition and receive Jesus to be your Savior? I'd like us to bow our heads at this point. I just want to offer a, a, a prayer that I invite you to just pray in your own heart to God. It's not the prayer that saves, but the faith behind it. Whoever believes in Him, whoever trusts in Him. But I just want to offer a prayer that you can pray to put your trust in Christ even this morning. Something like this. You can even use your own words in your own heart. Dear God, I know I sin. I, I, I do wrong things, and I, I can't fix that. I need a Savior. I need someone to rescue me from the penalty of my sin. And I do believe you sent your son Jesus to come into this world so that he might live a sinless life and take upon himself my sin and the sin of the world and that you accepted the payment he made on my behalf when he rose again from the dead. And so today I put my trust in Jesus. Today I want to receive him as my Savior. Today I claim the promise you made in John 3 where you said, God, whoever will trust in him, whoever put their faith in the risen Lord Jesus Christ, would have eternal life. I come to you in Jesus' name and because of what he did for me. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. If you'd like to hear more messages now, you can check out our past series at theridge.church slash messages or download the free Ridge app. Thanks again for listening and we will see you next time.